Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you uh, to turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10. And today we're making uh, one of our two scheduled interruptions in our study of the book of Philippians. Uh, we did that on the 4th of July weekend. And then today we have something special we want to talk about. We've been preparing for for a few weeks. And uh, I, I think it'll be important uh, for us in the life of our church. There are a, just a few things that as your pastor, I need to talk to you about uh, in, the, in, the, in the upcoming weeks and months. Uh, we need to talk, for instance, about uh, what it means to be a disciple. And, 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 and of course, you've heard that before, but me and you need to talk about that. And you need to hear from my heart. And we need to look into God's Word and, and, and see what the Bible really means when it says that the church's number one task is to go and to make disciples. That's just one of those talks that we need to have. We, we need to talk about what it means to be a church member. You know, every other organization that you will ever join, uh, you know pretty clearly what you can expect of that organization and you know what is expected of you when you join. And I want us to have that same clarity when it comes to being a member of the church. That's just one of those talks that we need to have. We need to talk about uh, church discipline and how uh, the Bible speaks so much about church discipline as the key to unity and effectiveness, and we need to have that talk. We, we need to talk about missions and how uh, the Bible says uh, both for the, for the kingdom purpose of spreading the gospel, but also for the function of helping us to mature in our walk with Christ that every person needs to be involved in missions. And we need to talk about that and, and see what that looks like for different people in different stages of life. So there are just some important talks that we need to have. And, and for the most part, I've been holding back on those uh, for a couple of reasons. One is uh, I'm looking forward to the day that we'll have our staff completely in place. Some of these talks really need to start as staff talks, and then they need to become church talks. And so uh, we have intentionally held off a little bit until we get more of those pieces in place. But another reason is I really just, I want to get to know you a little better. And every week I meet with new people and I get to know a little bit more of your heart, your passion, and, and really what drives you in life. And I think that's, that's helpful, you know, for us to be able to relate and to communicate but I also want you to get to know me a little more. I, I, I want you to be more convinced and more convinced that I believe and I love the Bible. And so if in some of these we say some things that uh, unsettle you, that uh, instead of just dismissing those things, you will be uh, just driven to the Bible to see if in fact that's what the Bible says. And so in time, we'll cover all of those kinds of things. But one thing is pressing today. Uh, one thing, because the new church year, uh, so far as when school starts and, and, and when many of our ministries just sort of restart, that new year is upon us. Uh, school will be starting in just a few weeks. People's schedules will change a little bit. And our new press as a church to reach our community will, will be kick-started once again. And, and so what we need to talk about today is how we need to reach the people of Nacogdoches County and what that has to do with our Sunday school. And so we have two big events every week in our church. Now we have a lot of events, but, but the two big events we have each week are worship service, you're attending that now, and then Sunday school, which will happen in just a little while. And so I want to talk today about how we can reach Nacogdoches County, the people of this community, and what that has to do about Sunday school. You know, you know the Bible has a lot to say about small groups. Uh, there were small groups in the Bible, and uh, we will look at those perhaps down the road, and we see them in uh, the book of Acts and in, in the epistles. We see that the first church regularly met in small groups. We call that Sunday school here. And one of the things that we discover when we, when we read through the New Testament is that, is that the early church, things were much more about what they did than what they knew. And I want you to think about that because there's an important distinction here. It was important in the early church that they knew the right things, 
But it was equally as important, in fact, perhaps more important, that they did the right things because they knew the right things. Do you you understand the difference? We need to know the right things, but we need to do the right things as a result of knowing the right things. In, In the early church, Christianity was not just about the knowledge you had. It was about how the knowledge you have impacts the way that you live. So, so you can imagine going to somebody's house and it's your first visit there and you know, they're being kind to you. You're sitting down in their living room and, and you notice on the coffee table that uh, they have all of these sailing books. I mean, all kinds of books. And you can tell that they're well-used, well-worn books, that these are not just decorations. These, th- th- these are books that they study and you see that they have maps and charts that show um, navigational routes through different ports around the world. They have photographs of sailboats. And, and so you can tell this is, a, this is a family that loves to sail. And so you ask the family, uh, now tell me some of the places that you have sailed before. I, I see you're a, a, an enthusiast when it comes to sailing. And, and they say, oh, no, no, no. Listen, we, we, we've never sailed. Never been on a sailboat. In fact, never even seen the ocean. We just read these books. We're just enthusiasts. We're we're just interested in the information. Now, you would think that was strange, right? But so often we come to church week in and week out and we're so interested in learning things. We're so interested in becoming smarter. We're so interested in learning the things of God's word. But so many times for us, Christianity is just It's just all about the learning and it's not any about the doing. It's all about how much we know. It's not about how what we know impacts how we we live. And when you read about the early church, you can see it it was more about how how they lived, how they lived. You, You know, the church really, we have to be careful because the very structure of the church, of every church, can, can cause us to, to get confused about this. Uh, you, you, first of all, we're a people of the book. I mean, we talk about that often, right? We're people of the book. We believe that God's word is true and infallible. We, we believe that it's, it's trustworthy in every respect. And, and, and we believe that God's word should be the guide for everything that we do, not what our opinion is, not uh, what is most convenient, not what is most popular, but the word of God is our guide. And so we call ourselves a people of the book. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, when we call ourselves people of the book, we will become people of knowledge about the book instead of people whose lives are directed by the book. And so you see, even the structure of church can, can cause us to, to get off track on this. We, we come on Sunday morning and we sit in rows and we have a, you know, a book in front of us and it's opened and, and many of you take notes and we have an outline and we put slides on this, you know, you know before you and, and, and all of those things are good. But you, you see, if we're not careful, we will suddenly communicate to people that it's just all about what you, what you learn. When we finish this hour, uh, what will most of us do? We will go to a classroom. You, you, you see the, the language we use there? We will go to a classroom and uh, we will have an hour that we call a Sunday school hour. And so the very structure of church would lead us to believe it's just all about knowing and learning something. But what we've got to be careful about, what we've got to resist the gravity of that, we've got we to set down our stakes and say, no, to be a Christian certainly is about knowing something, but mostly it's about how our life is different because of what we know, how we relate to others differently because of what we know. And so when we talk about reaching Nacogdoches County and when we talk about Sunday school, There's a critical piece here that we need to understand, and it has to do with this uh, knowing versus living, and it has to do with a parable that Jesus delivers in Luke chapter 10. And so let's read this together. The parable is probably familiar to many of you. It's it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan, or that's what we call it. Uh, It's a short parable. Um, It's a very convicting parable. Uh, but but it, it deals with this tension between, is it about what we know or is it about what we do because we know what we know? 
And so let's begin reading. Well, let's begin reading in verse 29. In verse 29, we're picking up in the middle of the story, but I'll catch you up a little bit. He says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, there was a conversation between Jesus and someone who at least seemed to want to know how he could have a relationship with Jesus, how he could be right with the father. And so they go back and forth a little bit and, 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 it, and it turns out Jesus says you need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so now that has brought the question, well, exactly who is my neighbor? Because Jesus has said, if you want to know what is characteristic of people who are children of God, I'll tell you, they love God and they love people. That's what they look like. If you want to be able to tell the people who have a relationship with God versus those who don't, those who do love God and love people, that's, that's their characteristic. And so this person wants to know which people do I need to love? And Jesus answers the question. Look at verse 30. It says, Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him and fled, leaving him half dead. So you got the picture in your mind? This man is traveling uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's uh, perhaps late at night. We don't know. Uh, this, was a, uh, this was a difficult path. It was about nine miles, is about nine miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. Uh, this path was called the bloody path because of all of the violence that, um, that, that happened. It was a common thing for people to be beaten and robbed on this, on this path. It, 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 was a, it was a commercial route, if you will. So, so a lot of people in Jericho, which really represented the countryside here, people with farms and small businesses, people with large families, would have money and they would travel with a lot of money because they didn't have credit cards back then. So they would travel with all this money from Jericho to Jerusalem to buy their merchandise, to, to buy what they needed for their farms or their small business or, or their families. And so when they were traveling from, from Jericho to Jerusalem, they usually had a lot of money. And when they were traveling from Jerusalem back to Jericho, they usually had a lot of stuff. And so th they were prime targets. And, and also this was a windy path. And so there were places where the stretches of roadway, the stretches of path, it was a narrow path, uh, were, 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 we're not clearly visible. And so people could hide behind rocks and people could jump out. And so this man, he chooses this path, the wrong path, the wrong time of day. Uh, he was alone. He certainly shouldn't have chosen this path, but he does. And so some robbers uh, approach him, they beat him, they steal his uh, possessions and they leave him, the Bible says, half dead. And so he's just on the side of the path, uh, probably bleeding. Maybe his life is... Uh, is uh, coming to an end. Verse 31, it says, a priest happened to be going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So a priest comes by. The man must have been um, encouraged when he saw the priest, uh, but he was quickly discouraged when the priest passed him by, never helped. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite, this is another uh, religious uh, person, a leader, a respected man, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. Now, Samaritan, th th this would have been someone who uh, would not have been well respected. There was a lot of uh, racial and ethnic prejudice against the Samaritans, even religious prejudice against the Samaritans. It says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He had compassion. If I were going to underline three words in this whole passage, those are the three words I would underline. He had compassion. You'll see in a moment how the whole uh, parable turns on those three words. It says in verse 34, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's a, a, a unit of, of money, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And so he was committed to this man's long-term care. And then Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And they answered the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So here Jesus answers, I think, three important questions that tell us 
Something about how we can reach Nacogdoches County, the people that God has put into our path, and how we can do this, uh, especially through our Sunday school. Now, maybe you're visiting our church. Maybe this is the first time. Maybe you came here this morning because you really needed some spiritual encouragement. Uh, and, and you're thinking, I showed up on the day they're going to talk about Sunday school strategy. Uh, this is a bad day for me to come. But hang on, it's not. Uh, because what we're going to talk about today, I, I promise, wh- whether this is your first time and you came just in need of some spiritual encouragement, uh, or you're a longtime person and you're uh, very interested in the strategy, uh, I think uh, the parable of Jesus has something special for us. And uh, so we see the answer to these three important questions. The first question is, what do they need? When we think about our neighbors, when we think about people in Nacogdoches County uh, who, who perhaps do not know Christ as their Savior or who are not walking with Christ as their Savior and Lord, what do those people need? Now, if you have your Bible still open, I want you to look back to verse 30. He says, uh, in, in the middle of the verse, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Now, we've already talked a little bit about this path, the bloody path, but what we can say here now is that the fallen man that we're talking about, he chose the wrong path. He chose to go down a path that that, that people were warned to be very careful about. When you go down this path, you you take people with you. You you go in a crowd. You you, you go in the the brightest part of the day. You, you, You don't take risks. This is a dangerous path. But this man, for some reason, chose to go down the wrong path. Now, why do you think he did that? Well, uh, Jesus doesn't say. I mean, Jesus uh, creates his parable and, and, and he doesn't give us any motivation for why the man went down the wrong path because really it doesn't matter. You know, everybody has chosen the wrong path. Do you know that? The Bible says that, uh, that, that the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all chosen the wrong path. The Bible says that, 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 that Jesus said that, that we, there's a narrow path that leads to eternal life and there's a wide path that leads to destruction and most people are on that wide path and at one point all of us were on that wide path. And so this man chose the wrong path. Listen, everybody chooses the wrong path. Now, maybe this man chose the wrong path just out of ignorance. Maybe he was new to town and he didn't understand the danger of this path. He didn't understand that, that there could be robbers and thieves and, and that he could be beaten and killed. Maybe, he, maybe it was just out of ignorance. He didn't know. Or maybe he knew full well the danger of this path and he just chose it out of arrogance. Maybe he just was a foolish man. But you know, it doesn't really matter. He's on the wrong path. Everybody chooses the wrong path. Now, when you think about your friends and the people who live on your street and the people who work at your business and the people in your social circles, they're just like this man. They've chosen the wrong path. You chose the wrong path until Jesus rescued you. They have chosen the wrong path and will be there until Jesus rescues them. And we can debate about why they chose that path, but it really doesn't matter, right? They've chosen the wrong path. But then that leads us to the second thing we see here. The fallen man needed somebody to love him. So he's chosen the wrong path and now he's laying on the side of the road and he's bleeding and he's hurting and he's dying. What does this man need? What does he need? Does he need somebody to come along and and, and preach to him about the right path? Does he need somebody to scold him? Does he need somebody to say, listen, you should have known better than to take this path. You should have known better than to come here alone. You should have known better than to come here late at night. You you have chosen the wrong path. Is that what he needs? Does he need somebody to condemn him because of his foolishness or his ignorance? No, listen, what he needs is somebody to love him. He doesn't need advice so much. He doesn't need a lecture He doesn't need somebody's uh, moral instruction. What he needs at this point, laying on the side of the road and suffering and bleeding, what he needs is somebody to love him. Now, he may need some moral instruction. He certainly does. And at some point, people need to help him live a, a, a wise life, certainly. But what he needs at that point, what he needs on the side of the road, he needs somebody to love him. You know, when you think about people you know chosen the wrong path, 
for whatever reason doesn't, doesn't really matter, but they've chosen the wrong path. People, people you know in your life, people in your family, people in your extended family, people, people in, in, in the school where your kids go to school, people have chosen the wrong path. What do they need? Listen, they don't need, first of all, our condemnation. They, 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 don't, they don't need our scolding. They don't, need, they don't need us to, to point a finger at them and lecture them about the path that they've chosen. They may need that. I mean, they, they certainly will need some moral instruction, and, and certainly we need to teach them the Word of God. But what they need first is somebody to love them. What they need first is for somebody to pause and pay attention and to care for them, not just care for the truth, we certainly should care for the truth, but to care for them. They need somebody to, to love them. So how do we do that as a church? Have you ever thought about that? How do we care for people? How do we show people love in our church? Well, we said a moment ago, we have two big events every week. We, we have worship service, Sunday school. We do a lot of other events around here, but, but we do two big events every week, worship service and Sunday school. So let's put on our thinking caps. You tell me, if people need to be loved and cared for, where in our two big institutions that we have at First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, where are they going to be loved and where are they going to be cared for? Well, listen, it's not the worship service. Now, I, I love the worship service. This is sort of the part I get to be in charge of. I love the worship service. I want everybody to come to the worship service. Listen, I, I wish we could have more of them. I wish you'd stay longer, okay? I mean, I, I love worship service. I wish we could do this all day long. I, I love worship. I know you're thinking, thank the Lord you're not that much in charge. <laughs> but it's not the worship service that's going to love somebody wrap their arms around somebody and bandage them up and uh, love them back to health. Now, worship service is important. It's extremely important. But if I run across somebody this next week, if I had somebody in my family that I was concerned with this next week, and I could invite them only to one hour of something at this church, just one hour, I wouldn't invite them to worship. Because while the truths that we will stand and teach and the songs that we will stand and sing are critical for what we do as a church and your spiritual growth, when somebody's beaten and bruised and bloodied on the side of the road, what they need is not what they get here. They need a group of people who will be interested in what's going on in their lives who will listen to their stories, who will hold their hand, will pray for them, who will go into their homes, will have them into their homes, who will, who, who will help with their kids. They need somebody to love them. And church, listen, that's got to happen in Sunday school. We can't do that here. Uh, this is just not the setting. But if we're going to be faithful to what Jesus is teaching, if we're going to, if we're going to be a neighbor to, to our neighbors, if we're going to really rescue people and not just gather around with a bunch of people we already like and we already know, if we're going to be a rescuing church, we, we, we've got to love people in Sunday school. We, we've got to get people in small groups. We've got to care for them. We've got to know what's going on with them. We've got to, we've got to hold their hands. We've got to love them. And so the fallen man needed somebody to love him. What do they need? Well, they need us to know that they've chosen the wrong path for whatever reason. And now they need somebody to love them. Well, now Jesus answers another question uh, in this uh, parable. He answers the question, well, then how can they be rescued? How can they be rescued? We, we know that they need to be loved, but specifically, what, how can we rescue people? If we're going to impact our community, Nacogdoches County is filled with people that need to be rescued. How can we rescue these people? Well, let's, let's go back to the parable. So verse 31, it's an easy to understand parable. Verse 31, it says, a priest happened to be going down that road. Now that's, that's good news, right? And so you can imagine the man, he's, he's lying there, he's thinking this is... These are probably my last moments, but just before he dies, he hears the shuffle of feet and he, and he strains his neck and he looks up and it makes his day. He can see from the flowing garments 
that it is a priest who's coming. And he thinks, oh, the Lord has smiled on me today. A priest. Of all people who could come down this road, a priest. But you read the rest of verse 31. It says, when he saw him, when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest took notice of him, but he just passed on by. Well, you would think that uh, things couldn't get worse, but they did. It says in verse 32, in the same way a Levite, when he appeared. And so, so the man has almost given up hope, but he hears somebody else coming down the road. And he looks and he can tell that this too is a, is a religious man, a respected man. But it says at the end of verse 32 that the Levite passed him by as well. Now let's don't be too quick to just dismiss these two people as, um, as fakes. I think that's what we want to do when we read this. We think, well, you know, they're these snooty religious people. that It's just all fake. It's just all a show. They're just pretending. And, and, and it's really more about them than it is anybody else. And, and that's who Jesus is talking about. He's just talking about these fake religious uh, people that just have a facade of uh, religion. That's, that's who he's talking about here. But, but it's not. Jesus is talking about respected uh, leaders within the church and the community. He, he's talking about people who are genuine. He's talking about people who love their wives and their families. He's talking about people who go to church every week. He's talking about people who pray and pray real prayers. He's talking about people who have, a, have some sort of form of a love of God. He's, he's talking about people that you would have trusted your kids with, that you would have trusted your bank accounts with. He, he's talking about the most respected people in the church. And they just pass him by. You know, this is so convicting uh, to me. It's convicting to me when I, when I try to think about the excuses that these men must have had. Because I don't think that they were evil men. You know, the, the way Jesus tells the parable, the point he's trying to make is that these were, these were good, respected, respectful men. And so what do you think some of their choices, what are their excuses might have been? I wonder if they saw the man broken on the side of the road and they thought, I would love to help him, but I'm just too busy. I wonder if that's what they thought. See, I, that, that's convicting because I, I think I do that some. I think we probably all do that some, right? We're all busy, right? You're busy, I'm busy. We all think we're busier than the other guy. Um, but we're all, we're all busy. And, and you know, I think in my life, there, there, there are needs that I see all around me. There, there are people I know of that are hurting. There are people that are, that are on the side of the, side of the road and they're struggling. And, and, and you know, I, I want to help them. It's not that I, don't, that, 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 that I don't have any kind of concern about them. I want to help them, but I... I just think, you know, I'm just so busy. You know, I've got, there's 14 other people I need to see. And, and you know, the family's upset because I hadn't been home for four nights in a row. And, and, you know, I know this person is hurting, but we have to be reasonable. I'm just busy. And I wonder if that was their excuse. I think there's a pretty good chance that was their, their excuse. Maybe they just said that they were too busy to help. Maybe they, maybe they said, well, you know, I have an appointment and, you know, this is a lot like being busy. It's just a little more formal. Maybe, maybe they're thinking, well, you know, I've got an appointment. I, you know, if I were to stop and, and help this guy, I, I, I've got places i got to go, people that are expecting me. I've got an appointment. I, I can't stop. Maybe they said, you know, you know, I think there's probably somebody who could do this better than I can. I mean, obviously, this, this guy has a need, and, you know, I, perhaps I could help him, but there are a lot of people that know more about this than I do. I'm just not really equipped to do this. I'm not trained to do this. Maybe I should let somebody who is better at this take care of him. Or maybe they thought, I wonder if this guy is really as needy as he pretends to be. You know, everybody thinks they're needy. Everybody's crying out for something. And a lot of people, they just need to, they just need to toughen up. You know, they, they, they need to quit asking for help. They just need to stand up on their own feet, take care of themselves. And so maybe he passed them. Maybe that was his excuse. Maybe he thought, maybe these two guys thought, you know, this guy's probably not as bad off if he, as he's pretending. Or maybe they thought, you know, if I stop and help him, the guys that did this to him may still be around. This could happen to me. Or maybe I could catch some disease. You know, you handle somebody that's, that's been beaten and they're bloody and 
I, listen, I don't know what their excuses were, but I imagine it sounded a lot like the excuses we use when we don't take care of the people around us. And so notice what the Samaritan did. First of all, the Samaritan had compassion. He had compassion. Whatever their excuse was, these two men, the real reason, please listen to this, the real reason they didn't help is because they didn't care. Now, they would have been surprised. They would have been offended had you, told, had you said that to them because they probably counted themselves as very caring, compassionate people. But the truth is, whatever excuse they pointed to in their heart, the truth is they didn't care. And the Samaritan, the big difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan is that the Samaritan really cared. Because as a Samaritan, I'm sure he was busy. I'm sure the Samaritan had appointments to get to. I'm sure the Samaritan was concerned that the robbers might still be around the next rock. I'm sure the Samaritan knew that other people perhaps could have handled this better and had more training uh, and education and expertise. But the Samaritan, what caused him to act when the other two did not act is the Samaritan cared and the other two did not. So we need to stop evaluating our spiritual maturity by how much we know and whether or not we could win a Bible trivia game. Good for you. We need to start measuring our spiritual temperature by whether or not we care. Whether or not we will set aside our excuses, I'm too busy, I have an appointment, others could help, I'm suspicious of the person's need, and that we set aside our excuses and start really caring for people. Because that's, the, that's where God puts the thermometer in our hearts. That, that's what we see in the New Testament, and that's what we hear from the lips of Christ. That spiritual maturity is measured by how much we care about people. The Samaritan had compassion. I'll show you another thing about this Samaritan and, and another way we can rescue people is the Samaritan engaged in a physical and personal ministry. You know, it's not compassion if it's just in your heart. If it's just a warm, fuzzy feeling, you know what that is? That's a warm, fuzzy feeling, okay? That's all that is. It, it's only compassion if it makes a difference, if it changes you, if you do something. And so when the Samaritan came along, he didn't just feel sorry for the guy. You, you, you know, and that's a question I'd love to ask of Jesus. And I know this is a parable, not a historical event, but, but I, I would love to ask of Jesus, did the, uh, did the, did the priest and, and, and did the Levite, did they, did they feel sorry for the, for the man? I, I bet they did. They were respected, proper um, spiritual men. I'm sure they felt bad for him. But see, compassion is not feeling bad. Compassion is acting, is acting. I remember um, a bunch of years ago when my wife and I had uh, were considering and really had decided to do a a special needs adoption. And a friend of mine was uh, an adoption advocate. He went and spoke at conferences and wrote books and uh, just sort of a, one of the leaders in the adoption community. And, and I met him for breakfast uh, one morning in Orlando, Florida. We both happened to be at a conference, the same conference at the same time. And, and I was talking to him about it and and he said, listen, I'm, I'm thankful, Noel, that you're doing this. And, you know, this is a great thing. And I'm not trying to discourage you, but, but I, want, I want you to know, Noel, I want you to know something. You know, you think about all the, you know, the happy reunions and the hugs and the kisses and the joy. And the, he said, no, all that's good. But he said, you also need to know this is going to be messy. In ways that you hadn't even thought of, it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. He said, you need to keep in mind that if you're going to have compassion, that compassion is always messy. And you know what? I love the joy and the kisses and the reunion and the love, but there have been parts that have been messy. Compassion is always messy. When this Samaritan picked up this broken and beaten man, it was messy. It was hard. It, it, it cost him time and, and, and money and, and it inconvenienced him. It's it's, it's always messy. 
But if, we, if we're going to minister to people, if we're going to make a difference in people's lives, we've got to be willing to be messy. And so perhaps this is saying too much, but I was out of town this last week and uh, taking uh, my oldest daughter for college orientation. And, uh, but I was getting messages. Uh, Raina, my assistant, was sending me messages through the week of things that uh, we needed to be aware of or take care of. And uh, one of the messages that came across was that somebody needed counseling, not somebody in the church, somebody in the community. And uh, she, it was a line or two in the message about what kind of counseling they needed, what their situation was. And I'll just be completely transparent with you, and you may not want to come back next week, but let me tell you what I, the first thing that came to my mind. When I read that, I thought, you know what? I am busy, and that sounds messy. I am busy. I've got a lot of stuff on my plate this, this next week. And that sounds like that could be a mess. But you know, the second thought that came to mind is, that's what ministry is. I mean, it's not ministry if it's not messy. It's, you're not helping people if you don't get in the dirt a little bit. It, 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 you're not showing compassion if, if, you don't, if you don't get with people who are, who are, who are going through messy situations and, and, and helping people. That, 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 that's what I'm here for. That's what you're here for. We, we've got we've to be messy with people. And when it comes to your Sunday school class, listen, I know we've got a lot of great Sunday school classes here, but, but your Sunday school class needs to get messy it needs to be a messy place. It needs to be a place where people can come who have messed up lives. And, and, and there are people in your Sunday school class who will get messy with them, that, that'll want to know what's going on, that'll want to help out, that'll want to stay up late at night talking about the problems, that'll want to work through some of the solutions, that, that, that'll go through the difficulties of life with them. Your Sunday school class needs to be a really messy place. So when people show up with their messes, they don't feel like, they're offending you. They feel like they have come to the place that is ready for messy people to come and to get help. You know, when I, um, when I thought about that, uh, that counseling situation, um, I thought about how messy it was when God saved me. And um, my life wasn't put together. It wasn't cleaned up. It, it, it was a mess. When God saved me, it was just like the Samaritan picking the bloody, messy, dirty, broken guy off the side of the road. That's what God did. It was messy. I'm glad God didn't avoid my mess. And I think about the church that ministered to me when I was 17 years old. and I was a, I was a messy prospect. I'm sure they had better, easier prospects on their list. They, I'm sure they had people that, uh, you know, it... Uh, whose life was a lot cleaner than mine, but they, they were willing to get in my mess and to minister to me. We, we, we need our classes to be places where messy people can, can come and, and find help. The Samaritan engaged in physical, personal ministry. You know, let me say it. Let me, let me say the same thing in a different way. We need to quit praying we just need to quit praying. Now, probably you've never heard a pastor say that before, so let me qualify that. Now, prayer is important, and we need to pray. And I think one of the strengths of this church is because uh, over years, you have, you have learned the commitment to pray. But we don't need to pray as a substitute for caring. Had this Samaritan showed up and looked down at that man and folded his hands and bowed his head and prayed and moved on, the man would have died. And we need to pray, but prayer needs to accompany us getting messy with people and helping to clean them up in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm running out of time. Uh, the third thing is the Samaritan made a personal sacrifice. He sacrificed his time to schedule his money uh, Jesus was the model for this, right? Uh, Romans 5, 8, God proves his love for us in this, that he, he gave his only son, that his son died on the cross. He sacrificed for us. We need to sacrifice 
Letter D, the Samaritan had an ongoing ministry. This wasn't short term. Uh, he, he didn't just patch him up and move on, but he took him to a hotel and, 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 and he provided for his care and, and he was going to come back and check on him and, and pay the bill. And he made sure that there was some ongoing care for this man. We, 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 need, we don't need to be a church of great events. Now, we do great events here, and it's largely because we just have a great staff here. I mean, our children's events and music events and youth events are great events, and that's good. And, 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 and events can be the, the doorway for somebody to come into the church, but events don't change a person's life. Their life gets changed when somebody's, somebody ministers to them, when somebody's life gets, gets pressed up against their life and somebody helps them out and provides long-term relationship and care. And so Samaritan had an ongoing ministry. Well, let me quickly just get to the last part. What, mu- what must we do? What must we do? Well, three things I think we see in this parable. First of all, we must embrace a whatever it takes attitude. You know, the mission is urgent. People are, pe- people are dying in Nacogdoches County because they don't know Christ. People's lives are becoming hardened every day and the opportunity is passing. It is an urgent thing. And our Sunday school classes are on the front lines of this. And I want you to see in your Sunday school class that you've, you've got this urgent task, an urgent task to, to reach people for Christ. And, and you need to have this whatever it takes attitude. Because the task is so urgent, our attitude needs to be whatever we need to do, that's what we'll do to reach more. Whatever we need to do, that's what we'll do. Just because we've not done it that way in the past. And, and it does not mean that we shouldn't do it. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a little different purpose. Everybody's heard the story about the mom and daughter. They're preparing Thanksgiving meal. And uh, the mom decides that she's going to you know, include her six-year-old daughter in the cooking process. And so she's trying to teach her to cook. And so she takes the ham. The mom takes the ham and she's going to cook it. And so she cuts off the end of the ham. You heard this? Cuts off the end of the ham and puts it in the pot. And the little girl, she doesn't know anything. She says, well, mom, why did you cut off the end of the ham? And the, girl said, the mom said, well, you know, I don't really know. I cut off the end of the ham because mom cut off. My mom cut off the end of the ham. Said, well, I, you know, I'll just call her. We'll get her on the phone. We'll call her, ask her, why, why do you cut off the end of the ham? And so they called up mom, grandmother, and said, uh, you know, we, we just cut off the end of the ham because you cut off the end of the ham. You taught me to cook. Why did you cut off the end of the ham? She said, well, you know, I don't know, because my mother cut off the end of the ham. And so they called bad mother. I mean, now we're great grandmother and said, now, you know, you know, all, the, the young mother said, you know, for years I've been cutting off the end of the ham and I cut off the end of the ham because my mother for years cut off the end of the ham. And she says, she cut off the end of the ham because you cut off the end of the ham. Why'd you cut off the end of the ham? And she said, well, I cut off the end of the ham because it wouldn't fit in the pot. <laughs> now listen, sometimes we do things just because that's the way we've always done them. And we need to stop and say, is this what we really need to do? And I want our Sunday school classes. Tonight, uh, David is going to speak to our Sunday school leaders. And he's going to challenge you to do some things, to do some different things, to have a, a different focus in Sunday school, not to abandon the things you've done. We're, we're not going to bust up anybody's Sunday school class. We're, we, we, our classes are functioning well, and we want them to continue to function well. But, but he's going to challenge you to do some new things and to do some old things in a different way so that we can be more effective. And let's don't just say, well, that's what grandmother did. And we're going to cut off the end of the ham because she cut off the end of the ham. Let's see how we can best minister to people and make a difference in their lives. David tonight's going to challenge our Sunday school leaders to allow their class to focus first on outreach and relationships. That the most important thing that happens in your Sunday school hour is that you're helping people get connected with other people so that they can be rescued from the side of the road. He's going to challenge us to look for ways to get smaller and start new classes so that we can have more relationships and show love. So the second thing we must do, not only embrace the whatever it takes attitude, we must take our, make our groups first about connecting with people. Make our groups first about connecting with people. 
What if you thought of the goal of your group? Think about the goal of your Sunday school class. I think if we were to go around, we just ask people, because we have such gifted communicators in Sunday school. I think if we were to just ask people, a lot of people would say, well, the goal of our Sunday school class, I mean, here's what we, here's what we hope to accomplish, Pastor, by the end of 2017. Here's what we hope to accomplish as a Sunday school class. We're going to work all the way through some new book that we found on the book of Colossians. Or we're going to, our goal, I mean, what we hope to accomplish before the end of the year is we're going to get all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, those are not bad goals, but those are not the most important goals. What if your goal was this? Pastor, by the end of the year, we're going to love nine new families into the kingdom of God. And by the way, we're going to work our way through the book of Revelation. You, You see the shift there? It doesn't need to be, we're going to work our way through the book of Revelation and, you know, if some new families happen to come in, we're not going to treat them too badly. Uh, it, it needs to be first, we're going to, we're going to love nine new families into the kingdom of God and then we will teach uh, through the book that we're focused on. David is going to challenge us tonight to be very intentional about a connecting uh, with people. And then the third thing, we need to show compassion, not friendliness. You know, people tell me all the time, we're a friendly church. And I guess that's good. I mean, that's, it's better than the alternative, right? I don't want people to say we're an unfriendly church. People come, I want them to be welcomed warmly and greeted uh, well. I, I want to be a friendly church in that respect. But let's just be honest. Nobody ever got their life turned around because somebody was friendly to them. Uh, they're friendly at Walmart. Have you noticed? You go to Walmart, there's this person standing at the door. I mean, you may be the person. I don't know who it is, but uh, it's the person standing at the door. He or she's got a big smile on their face. Sometimes they'll even hand you a cart when you come in. Have you noticed that? They don't do that up north, by the way. They just get your own cart. But but they're friendly at Walmart. I mean, they're they're friendly. Every time I've been to Walmart, somebody has greeted me warmly at the door. They're friendly. But if my marriage starts falling apart next week... My kids rebel. The doctor tells me that the news is bad. I'm not reaching out to Walmart. I don't need friendly. I need compassion. See, we can be friendly in worship. And I want us to be, of course. We need to be friendly. I hope you shake 100 hands before you leave today. Be friendly. But what people need is not friendly. What people need is compassion. And in our Sunday school classes, we need to be people of compassion. I visited the hospital. I shared this on a Sunday night a few weeks ago, but I visited the hospital, I don't know, three or four weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon. Um, Just went for a quick visit, and I was headed to church. almost missed church because of the visit. It just went on and on and on. And I don't know, the person I visited may be here today. I I hope she is. Uh, but, But she shared a story with me. And it was an engaging story. She, she talked about her spiritual life and some uh, bumps in the road and some detours that she had taken and, uh, and some tough things she'd been through as a result. She said she'd pretty much given up spiritual things. But she's been sick. She's been, uh, she's been in the hospital a good bit recently. She had a connection with our church. I don't know that she's a church member. I don't recall. But she had a connection with our church somehow. And a Sunday school class in our church reached out to her. She was surprised. So she didn't have a real good connection. She wouldn't have been surprised. But she had a connection. And she was surprised. They showed up. They brought her food. They took care of her family. Sent her flowers. And that's going above and beyond. she, She said she couldn't remember the last time anybody had ever sent her flowers. She laid in that hospital bed and she just wept and wept. And she said, God's doing work in my life. I've turned the corner. God's cleaning me up. God's pointing me in a new direction. And you know what? She was right. It was God. But she was just partly right. It was God working through her Samaritan Sunday school class. And I don't even know what class it it is. I I, I think somebody, because I thought it was their class, and they told me they'd never heard of her. So I, I don't... um, I don't know whose class it, uh, it is, and I don't care. That's, see, that's what we need to be. And uh, 
You know, people will say, Andre, I enjoyed the music. You know, okay, fine. People say, well, you know, I, I like the story you told in the sermon. Okay, fine. But bloody, dying people on the side of the road aren't going to be rescued until some good Samaritans substitute your Sunday school class is organized and focused in such a way that you can pick them up and you can care for them and you can love them and love them back into the kingdom of God. Now, I want to challenge you with two things. If you're not a part of a Sunday school class, you need to be. We're going to have Sunday school in just a minute and uh, you find a Sunday school class. Look for somebody that's got the same grayness in their hair that you have. That means they're the same age as you are. Are you, and, and, and follow them. In all seriousness, I'll be here in the front and I'll, I'll grab somebody and get somebody to help you find, but you need to go to a Sunday school class. You just, you can't, you, you can't be a fully devoted follower of Christ if you're not doing Christianity with other people. If you're not walking with other people, loving and caring for other people and letting them love and care for you, you gotta be in a class. But number two, if you're in a class, I want you to help your class have some goals. And I don't want your goal to be how many, how many verses you're going to cover in Bible study this next year. I don't, I mean, I mean, I want you to cover verses. You quit teaching the Bible in your Sunday school class and me and you're going to have some words. Okay. I mean, the Bible teaching is important, but I don't want your goal to be that we're going to get through three more Francis Chan books this year. I don't want your goal to be that we're going to read everything Beth Moore wrote in the last two years. I, I don't want your goal to be that we're going to, we're going to figure out the rapture in the book of Daniel in the next uh, six weeks. I want your goal to be that you're going to love some people into the kingdom of God and that you're going to have a class where messy people can come and get cleaned up and that you're going to care for people more than you care for your schedules, that we're going to care for people and hurting people more than we care for the concerns in our own lives and that we're going to be what Christ tells us we ought to be. We're going to be people who love our neighbors right into the kingdom of God. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, let me pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful that we know as much about the Bible as we do. And I'm thankful that we have a church where people are curious to know more. I'm thankful you've given me a curiosity to know and learn and study. And your word is a treasure. I love your word. I, I love studying your word. But Father, help that not to become a substitute here for for caring about messy people. Let us, let us have a Sunday school hour where as we teach your word, we love and care for the people around us and that we see neighbors reached for the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.